0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice.
2: In investment circles, and probably every conversation about investing, the word risk is used. What do you think about when you hear the word risk? Does it intimidate you? Does it make you feel afraid? Well, there is a risk to almost everything you do in life, from jumping on a plane to go overseas, to driving a car, swimming in the ocean, or even crossing the street. The thing is, when you cross the street, you generally don't think twice you don't pause, and you do not look at elaborate risk mitigation strategies. It's so natural to you that you're comfortable with taking on this risk day in and day out. Now, if you were to cross a busy highway with fast traffic and multiple lanes, you'd be hesitant. You would look at a strategy or you might not choose to cross at all. If you had to cross a highway daily, you'd actually learn and understand the timing and the nature of fast moving cars, crossing lanes, and a mixture of trucks and other vehicles all while exercising a heightened sense of caution. What am I getting at? Well, once you start to understand a risk, learn about it and experience it, the endeavor might not seem as risky as you first thought. You can adapt your risk tolerance to your goals. Sure, it's high risk crossing a busy road, but the alternative is to take a longer route and not have the reward of saving time. How can you apply this to your investing? How can you understand what you're invested in so you don't freak out and have an investing injury We know everyone will have different risk tolerances in different areas of life, but I encourage you to lean in, get used to it, and accept risk in your daily life and in your investing life. In this episode, John Pidgeon's with us and Rachel Kroon from Sphere Home Loans, who randomly dropped in at the last minute, and we're going to have a talk about interest rates. We're going to talk about some new product innovations in the mortgage space for those who are professionals who might be able to get into a property sooner than later, but thanks for listening. We can't do this podcast without our show partner, Tao. We all understand that a cancer diagnosis can come as an incredible shock. With changes to routine, overwhelming decisions about treatments and a raft of physical and emotional aspects to manage, moving forward isn't always straightforward. And to be honest, every single person hearing this has been affected by cancer, whether it's yourself, a loved one or a friend. This stuff is in our life. TAL have a dedicated and personalized cancer support service available to customers with an accepted claim relating to a cancer diagnosis, delivered at no cost. Whatever your journey, TAL's cancer support service is there if you need it. TAL, ensuring this Australian life. And there's a link in the show notes if you want to learn more about the cancer support that TAL can offer. I'm Glenn James. You're listening to My Millennial Money. John Pigeon, host of My Millennial Property. Welcome back to the Tuesday show and our guest, Rachel Croon from Spear Home Loans. Hey, Rachel. Hey, John. Hello, Glenn. Hello, Rachel. Hello. Now, this was very opportune, this, because I wanted to talk about today interest rates, right? Because we know last week, if you listen to this live, you know, seven days ago, the RBA, which is the Reserve Bank of Australia, increased interest rates by 0.25 of a percent. And I said to John, we need to talk about this. I did a special little ten minute update, but I just want to dig it deeper. And then I thought, oh, it'd be cool to, you know, know what most of the lenders are doing out there in Bankland. And weirdly, over my breakfast this morning, Rachel, you gave me a call with some exciting news that you're excited about, which is kind of <laughs> weird and geeky. But I thought <laughs> I'm like, Are you around at three PM? Drop into my house. We'll have you on Tuesday show. Uh, so we might just talk interest rates first. John, do you have any views on what's what's happened?
0: Yes, yeah, always got a view, Glenn. I think it's no surprise to anyone. If we if we didn't see this coming, then we we're probably under a rock somewhere doing nothing. Uh, it it probably came a little bit earlier than expected. If we we're sitting here this time last year, it maybe not happening until later this year, even earlier next year. But any case, it's here. We we should have been forecasting it. We should have factored it into our numbers, whether our owner, owner or investor. And I think we'll still see more rises. No surprise that the bank passes them on as they should. They're a business. They're making money. Has no relevance to the Reserve Bank, but they do it anyway. Um, so yeah, I think it's uh, it's a good thing. And if we look historically, uh, 1990 or 91 was 18%. We're down at 0.35% as a cash rate. So we're still extremely low. Uh, I would also
2: add to that, John, like, and you're both uh, functioning humans and you see the news, like the media have really doubled down on this, how it's the end of the world, but it's actually ridiculous because to have a cash rate of 0.1% in an advanced economy, That's freaking low. Mm. Now, the average rate since 1992 today, which- What what day is it today? What are we recording? We're recording this on 5th of May, right? This will go up on the 10th. The average cash rate from the Reserve Bank is 3.89%. So- Over 30 years. Over the last 30 years. Yeah. Like, so it's only- And we've been saying it for- for years. The rate is only going up. It's a matter of when, not if. So within that, we just have to plan to pay more for money. Hmm. Rach, what are you seeing like you get I'd imagine daily updates from lenders and banks all around Australia? What are you seeing? Oh, uh, many passing the rates straight on.
3: Yeah, the majority have come out and passed on the entire 0.25 rise, which is expected. And the ones that haven't probably, we expect them to. Um, I mean, it has, we, we have been expecting this for such a long time. I mean, my bet was later in the year, but it had to happen. And we've been preparing our clients for this for a long time.
2: Yeah. Now, so, so just on that, if somebody does go to a broker and wants to know their servicing and their borrowing power, like, do you have a legal obligation to tell people, oh, this is the rate, or is there a moral thing? Do all brokers do it? Like, what do you do?
3: So the conversation we generally have with a client is that, especially when rates are low, we assess them at the assessment rate, which is two and a half percent more than what it is. So right. that's the assessment rate's five and a half percent right now, which is everyone who's borrowed can afford that mortgage at five and a half percent. But we also give the repayments usually at a few percent high just so they can see what it will look like when the rates do go up.
2: Yeah. It's just so important to factor in these increased costs, right? Because I I did some numbers and if someone had a $500,000 mortgage right now today, and you're starting at 25 years, principal and interest, and you were today paying 2.44%, a 1.5% increase or taking the rate to 3.94%, that's an extra $395 per month or $5,000 a year for a $500,000 mortgage. Now, if there was a 3% increase from today's rate, or if the, the interest rate that the bank gave you was 5.44%, that's an extra $882 per month or just under $10,000 a year. So, we know it's not getting easier out there to buy a first home and we hope that, you know, prices do cool off so we can get into the market sooner. But it's just so important that when you are doing your online calculations for your own budget, even if you do that before you speak to a broker, I want you to throw in at least four and a half percent. Would that be a fair statement that, you know, we might not be getting there in the next 10 minutes, but winter is coming? with Mortgage rates,
3: yeah. I, I always like to do the repayments at five percent because I think if they're not going to be five percent in the next few years, which I don't think they will be, they will be at some stage of the life of your loan. So I think five percent just that's just my number I pluck from nowhere that I've always done my numbers on as well.
0: Mm. What do you do, John? Yeah, look, I, I think there's a big difference between investment and owner rock as well. So we need to establish what type of loan we're getting first, because if it is investment, we're going to have some rent associated with that. If it's owner-rock, it's our personal income and expenses that we need to factor in. So yeah, I don't really have a like a 5% like you do, Rach, but I definitely have a percentage that's higher than what the current rate is. And I, I think if a lot of people out there now are, are punching in 5%, it might scare the hell out of them, right? (laughs) So um, we're not deterring people from buying property because if it's 5% in three years' time, rents are going to increase as an investment. So we need to factor that in as well. But you're right, if it's owner rock, um, yeah, a couple of percent higher. But going back, if I can, to what you mentioned, Rach, about you assessing or the banks assessing a couple of percent above, it's a really interesting one because – they've assessed you at 2% above, but, or 25 but can you handle 2.5% above? What you put in as your expenses in your life and your lifestyle changes, they're the unknowns, aren't they? So only each individual
3: knows what they can handle and what they can't. That's right. And we're talking about, I guess we're talking about, we know that we, we say it as people have been in this industry for a long time that we knew that rates were going up, but it's really important to know that there hasn't been a rate rise for nearly 12 years. So, the majority of clients that we've put into mortgages have never seen a rise before and it's scary for them. Mm.
2: Yeah, it's wild. And if you've got a $700,000 mortgage, you're probably pretty lucky. Um, Don't winch too much. Uh, (laughs) If there was a 2%, looking at you, John Pigeon, uh, if there was a 2% increase from the rate at the moment and the banks did charge four point four four percent, that's a seven hundred and forty-eight dollar a month increase. So we just have to understand. And I, I was even thinking like if three point eight nine was the average over the last thirty years, with the highs of like seventeen percent for example, all right, let's just let's just say three percent is going to be the new average, right? Will they get to 15%, 17%? Doubt it, but who knows. But just think in your own mind, if the RBA cash rate is 3%, banks will make a bit of profit, call it 2%. I think that 5% number, H is Pretty probably good, good yeah. for our own budgeting. And And this is the dance, right? Like you might not be there yet, but if you're confident in your career that, all right, in the next two years- I've got to get this mortgage. I can afford it now. Winter's coming. There is, like you just need to know that in two years time, I need a higher income. I need to progress my career because I will have to pay more for my home. Simple as that.
0: Yeah. Um, Rachel, on the spot here, you love on the spot, fixed or variable. A lot of people reaching out to me in the last two days saying, "Oh, is it time to fix my loans?" And I'm thinking, well, the best time was probably 18 months ago. But uh, yeah. tell tell us quickly uh, an example of what we might be able to get for fixed versus what the variable is.
3: Yeah, the fixed rates go up well before the variables do yeah. go up, and that you know that's hard, but. The banks have the best economists in Australia working for them and forecasting mm-hmm. fixed rates, and they intend to make money on those. Yeah. So people tend to fix for security and what they're paying not to make money. But at the moment, a three-year fix would be, you know, probably around three and a half to 4%. Yeah. And, and your variable might be late twos. Like it should be low twos yeah. or mid twos with the rise. Yep.
2: Yeah. So there you go. I, so like my cousin uh, called me the other day it's like, oh, I'm getting them all each. Should I do fixed or variable? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, but I do know one thing. For me personally, it does come back to that comfort level. And I said to her, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Mm. You might decide to do 50-50. You might decide to do 70-30. Yeah. And, and that's why, you know, working with your broker, getting these scenarios on paper. And I must confess, like, if you're a first home buyer, Like, there's a lot of moving parts. You've just put an offer in. You've got accepted. There's all these mortgage things and everything's moving in a million miles an hour. You don't know if you can afford the rates and all that stuff where on paper you can, but emotionally it takes a while for our emotions to catch up with reality sometimes. You know, I'm pretty sure my first mortgage was fixed just because I was freaking out and I fixed it at 5.5%. What a dickhead because they went down to 2%. Like, but- I didn't care because I wanted just that certainty. Yeah. And that's great. Remember like in two thousand fifteen we thought five percent was cheap money.
0: We did. So Yeah, and I think I, I went on a rant yesterday on online, which I don't normally do, but I was like, Well, we've got to sit back and smell the roses. Like we can we can borrow at eighty percent of its value for real estate in Australia and have no margin call if the property drops in value. As long as we continue to make repayments, the bank's leveraging us at eighty percent or in some cases ninety or maybe even ninety five percent. So we're pretty lucky. Yeah. And um, we've got to be appreciative of that because you can't do that with many assets.
2: Totally. Now before we move on to the kind of the cool stuff that Rach was talking about, just a warning like if you do fix your loan, they talk about a mortgage cliff you know, coming out of a five-year fixed or a two-year fixed, the floating rate or the variable, variable, whatever it's called. If you're yeah, I I won't say it, but I'm looking for a speech pathologist to help coach me to learn how to speak because I do this for a living. I mean, don't at me because I'm going to get heaps. (laughs) That's what I'm working on for professional development, guys. Anyone out there? Um, So... I might join in. there There might be a bit of a cliff coming. So you just have to be warned. Forewarned is forearmed. And yeah, we'll we'll move along. What were you excited when you called me today and interrupted my coffee?
3: I was so excited this morning. We've had our first few loans go through with a, a new product that we've had come into the market, which is allowing certain professionals, for certain degreed professionals to borrow up to 95% of the value of the property for owner-occupied purposes without mortgage insurance. Wow. That's crazy. Super exciting.
0: Uncharted territory, isn't
2: it?
3: It really is. There has been 90s before for certain health professionals, but never 95.
2: And I I told Rach, don't mention the name of the lender um, because as far as I'm concerned, if you want to advertise on our show, you can freaking pay. But um, this lender is available to mortgage brokers only and you can't go direct.
3: That's right. It's not available in any branches. Okay.
2: So- Rach, can you give us a practical example of a loan that you've placed through this new product?
3: Yeah. So the first one was for a registered nurse and they were purchasing their first home. Um, There was no stamp duty. So it was just a clean 5% deposit. So on a $600,000 purchase, that was a 30,000 deposit and those funds were gifted. They weren't genuine savings.
2: Right. Interesting. That's pretty cool.
0: So all you needed to work out was can this person repay the loan given that they had no force or savings history, but they were happy to approve that on that basis?
3: That's right. And they're approving it for people who have a certain professions and that are degreed professionals. Yep. So we're talking IT, engineering, registered nurses and some other health professionals like psychologists. Mm. So, so this
2: is kind of, would you say like, so... Clearly, it's legal and APRA are okay with it. I would imagine it's not a, you know, big four lender, but we are just seeing competition. Is that what we're saying? Because usually this waiver of um, an extra deposit Would only be available to say medical professionals, excluding nurses.
3: That's right. So this is um. So the people who started this company were actually ex uh, worked for a big mortgage insurer. So the people who know about the risks and what they've seen is an uh, an opportunity of these young professionals coming out with big incomes have done a lot of time in university to get these incomes. And, you know, a few years into their profession, they may not get the deposit that they need.
2: Because that's the biggest problem with a lot of you people that are listening. Like it's, you've you've all got good incomes. You tell us on the census, like the median income of a listener of My Millennial Money is $91,000. Like you can afford stuff, but it's just a deposit problem in Australia.
3: And when you're renting as well as being a professional, getting one hundred and fifty thousand dollars together is hard
0: yeah and and the double whammy of this is if you can get in you're pretty much going already paying the rent amount that your mortgage repayments will be anyway so it's you're actually it's a win win isn't it so that's a, right avoid the deposit amount but quite discriminative discriminatory uh, yeah of them to say you need a degree I would have thought uh,
3: yeah. There is another product for those who don't have a degree that are in Perfect. essential services. So there's a product that's not quite as high as the 95. It's a 90% no mortgage insurance, so you need a 10% deposit. $5,000 of that has to be saved. The rest can be gifted. And you need to be working in something like um, you could be a nurse but maybe not a degreed nurse, a school teacher, um, a police officer, an ambulance officer.
2: That's cool. This is crazy because like... We've seen it time and time again. People in the Facebook group go, oh, I bought my home. I did it. And a lot of people are like, how are people doing it? And it's like, well, there are options. And that's why we are just so pro-mortgage broker. And like, Rach, you 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 know, you didn't even know you were going to be seeing in my garage today. Like, cause, <laughs> and she's playing it out. She was really excited, John, when she, she always, told me. I can imagine. I'm like, yeah. all right, we'll just come down for 10 minutes and just tell yeah. us because this is good stuff. So yeah. if you've already got a relationship with a mortgage broker, by all means, go back to them and say, hey, I heard about this product on the My Millennial Money podcast. Can you investigate? If you don't have a broker, reach out to Rach's team, spherehomeloans.com.au, go to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help. But I think there's always options and going back to kind of the basics, this is why we teach, we've got to keep and get out of consumer debt because we need more options. So if you sit down with Rach today, and, or one of her brokers, and they said, yeah, you can do this. And you're like, oh, dang, I've still got this five grand credit card that I... It's like, we need to be agile with our personal finances. And that means we're out of consumer debt. We're on a budget. We're dialed in. We might have some savings. And it could be that, oh, okay, well, I've got my emergency fund and I can get this mortgage. Well, if I get pre-approval, well... I'll be able to save, I've got that savings at the moment, but by the time I get the pre-approval sorted, I'll be able to save my emergency fund back up. And like, there can be a bit of strategy Mm. to get you across the line, but it's all about being prepared. And even with these interest rate increases, not having consumer debt, not having every living leech hanging off your budget, gives you the best shot at pivoting and taking advantage of this stuff. So, on that, oh, I got a bit passionate, but <laughs> on that stuff, rage, what are the, like, so this isn't a big four lender, um, are the rates uh, competitive?
3: Yeah, they are. So, there's not just one lender, there's a couple of lenders right. that have brought out a few different things as well. So, there's another one that's brought out a non-mortgage insurance product for 85%, but the one that I'm talking about with a 95% no mortgage insurance, the rate on that is, I mean, it's, it's low threes. So, it's probably about, you know, 07 above the other rates. But if you think about that, what you would be paying in mortgage insurance at that level, it's extraordinary.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But that's just like that percentage is the risk premium anyway.
3: That's right. So, a client might be spending, you know, at that level, they would be spending 3.4% of the purchase price on mortgage insurance, which is a huge fee that they're not paying. Mm. So, it's not just the price to get in being less, it's that mortgage insurance saving.
2: But this is the whole thing like, you know, these kind of second tier lenders, they don't have to be your forever lenders because the hardest thing is getting in the flipping market, like get in the market, keep working, get pumping, then yeah. review over time.
3: That's right. We put a number of clients with a 98% lender um, years ago that was, that were doing that for certain teachers. And we moved most of those clients within two years Yeah, to a, you know, because that was yeah. a, a loaded rate, but they got in the market.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and. That is your, your risk rate. Obviously, your 0.7 is higher. Um, it's equivalent to maybe your no-doc loans back in the day. I don't think they do them anymore, but um, it's a opportunity cost as well, isn't it? So if you're going to take another two years or three years to save for a deposit, then you, you may have had some growth in the market by being in a little bit earlier. But I think it, it also comes back to the team of people around you because you go home tonight and say, oh, mum and dad, we can get a 95%, no LMI, um, I've got no money in the bank, but I'm good for it, Uh, no money down, we're all good for it, my income's solid, mum and dad, no, you shouldn't do that, it's too risky. So you've got to look at the team of people you've got around you and your risk profile around that to maybe think outside the square, what's the pros, what's the cons of making a decision like this. And what I kind of as
2: a, because this is a whole emotional thing, right, and I'm big on this, you know, when I've made decisions in my life, It's like, I step out, I get my first mortgage. And again, like it can take a few months for your emotions to catch up with that decision. And I've seen people post in the Facebook group like, Oh, I just got my first mortgage and did I make the wrong decision and all this stuff? It's like, just, it's, it's just a tough thing, right? But I guess what I'm saying is get in the market. Get a mortgage. I don't know what I'm saying. I've lost my train of thought. Maybe I'm still a bit unwell. I'll sick, guys. <laughs> In
0: any case, Rach is pumped about it. That's uh, really embarrassing. Yeah, and it's not that was a you, Biden moment. It's
3: not for everybody. <laughs> this product's not for
0: everybody. At Le- least you answered it. Albanese, you didn't. Yeah. It right, is stepped step aside. Um, no, you're right, Rach, it's not for everyone. Um, but the thing I like about it is it's taken on Westpac because they've had the monopoly of this ninety percent no LMI for medical professionals and professional sports people, but yep. It hasn't been open to everyone else. And now it is.
3: That's right. And if you we've got so many clients on our database that's just been busting to get into the market, so we're just excited about spending the next week calling them all.
2: Awesome. Let's uh thanks for that, Rach. And again, if you just speak to a mortgage broker, most of them don't bite hard. Um, Silas, (laughs) Silas McDonald, how to invest more into your dream slash ideal job without sacrificing too much financially? When do I need to accept that how much time slash money I'm investing into my dream is too much and going back to the nine to five grind? or should I just go for it? And I actually asked Silas in the group to give me a little bit more background. Uh, I make online content, both on Twitch and YouTube as a side hustle, been doing it since 2016 and had various ranges of success and profits. Yeah. I'm just reading and you can just Google you can just, you know, search in the Facebook, Twitch, and I'm sure his post will come up. I work full-time jobs, some weeks, upwards of 60 hours, and there's a lot of times I think I might just be losing that opportunity to to pursue my dreams, and I might not be around in the future. Look, and there's a chat there about um, a potential uh, podcast with influencer spaces, and all that. And actually, next month, we've got an episode that I did with um, Matt Hay, who's got the Instagram tag at AllRightHay. And uh, we talk about a lot of that stuff, Silas, so keep an eye out for that. But basically, you know, this is the classic, I've got a side hustle. It's my passion. I want to do it and I don't want to do my my nine to five. Whether it's Twitch, whether it's YouTube, whether it's my Instagram, whether it's making uh, butchers, papers, candles, papers, candlestick makers or, you know, bakers and all that stuff. I am still not well. I can't get my words out of it. <laughs> it. Doesn't matter what the side hustle is. This is the question. Like, what would you do in this situation? Do you guys have a view? I've got a view, but I'm sick of talking because I, I can't get my words out. Rach, you're
0: the guest.
3: I just think it's such a personal decision to make. I mean, I've obviously left my job and took the risk to be self-employed, but it wasn't a side hustle. It wasn't something that I was doing and then it grew. So I just haven't got a lot of experience with it.
0: Mm, I'd go for it. Uh, I think he mentioned in there that it's his dream or ideal job, right? So if if that is your dream, then why not go for that? Agreed. And now finances and and money are definitely one portion of it, but enjoying and, and, and chasing that itch that you want to scratch is is, I think far more important and if you're doing that and you're enjoying it and you're leaping out of bed every day and you're motivated by life and what you're doing for the majority of it then I think the universe looks after you and, and money takes care of itself majority of the time all what are right. you looking at me
1: for? Well oh,
2: I, I don't know John you just get me all worked up <laughs> <laughs> Look, let's let's cut to it. Remove just so I'm not having a personal go at you, Silas, I'll I'll make a scenario up. Uh you've got Betty over here, and Betty makes beeswax candles, right? And that's her passion. The thing is, Betty doesn't know she actually sucks at doing that. And the market doesn't want to buy her dumb candles. So there's that <laughs> trade-off that I did a heap of ads today of the podcast and you might hear him in this episode in the mid-roll and that I was in a bit of a mood. So, the reality is- Can't tell. You've got to work out is if what I'm doing, does the market want it? Is it quality or is it just my passion and I suck at it and it's not a, a thing that I can put to the market? So, that's number one. You've got to just- because I always talk about, you know- you, if you want to buy a bakery, you've got to be really good at making bread and be a good baker because once you buy the bakery, the baking has to take care of itself because you're now a business owner, you're not a baker. So, Silas, what I will do is you've been doing this since 2016. I want you to draw a line in the sand and if that's in six months or 12 months, I want you to then go, all right, I'm going to give this everything- for six months and if I'm not seeing a trend or if I'm not seeing signs of life, it might not be for me. Or what you do, because this is similar to when we started this podcast, John. We both sat down and said, we are doing this for the next 12 months every week, whether we get one listener a week or 1,000. We are committing to it yep. for 12 months. Yeah, And then at the end of that 12 months, if there's no signs of life and we had some metrics what we wanted in terms of signs of life, Mm. and that was just listener growth. That was a basic metric because there was no podcasts that were personal finance by Aussies for Aussies at the time. So, that's why that was our metric, right? Or, and then, so basically, I was doing this podcast on the side, right? I still had the financial planning business. You would walk in as you do for the hour a week and then piss off. (laughs) Um, He still does and gets his money. And then, so I was doing it on the side and it got to the point where, my side hustle was becoming too busy mm. and actually had some really good signs of life with the income thing. And then it, then you get to the point where it's like, oh, I need to make a decision. Is it time to actually now make that jump? And Dave Ramsey talks about when you make that jump from the wharf to the boat, you just want to make sure that that boat's close enough so you don't get wet and fall in.
0: Yeah, totally. And And we appreciate all that. And I, I think that's all he would have a feeling about how how that's tracking he said he's made some varying profits and varying Mm. successes so i think he's he's actually monetized it um to the point where he's looking at it okay i'd really love to give this a crack and i'm thinking well what's the worst that can happen he goes back to his nine to five doing his 60 Mm. hours a week if he doesn't take that on five years time someone else is doing it um Better than him, or, or sorry, he hasn't gone ahead with it. He's doing his 60-hour-a-week uh, grind and he's regretting not taking that shift and he's forever in regret of um, not taking action. And the only other thing you could do, Silas,
2: save a war chest up. As you said, John, you can always go back to your nine-to-five. Save a war chest up, quit your job and go, I'm going all in, baby, and then living off your savings and that's what I did when yeah. we started My Millennial Money. And in fact, one of the announcements I was going to make today, we've got a new host of the My Millennial Business Podcast. Fabs hosts that now. The One of the most recent episodes, he interviews me how I started My Millennial Money. So, if you want to go and have a listen to the, you know, an hour of the backstory, mm. I share and I'll, you know, I basically lived off my savings for three years before we started well, before I like it got to the point remember we had that conversation. I said to John, "Something's got to change here. Everyone else is getting paid, and I'm not." <laughs> like, so it kind of took three years
0: um, to kind of get the thing happening. Yeah, but um, but again, he, he's you. We we saw signs of life. He's obviously seen some signs of life.
2: Yes, and now the the time is to have a line in the sand mm. because I don't want him to have something half baked that's going on for the next 5 years. No, you like, can't
0: do you can't do a side hustle forever.
2: No. It's one or the other. Yeah, unless you are like I like taking photos of babies and I'll get $100 cash, like yeah, knock yourself out. That's a hobby. But yeah, if it's something like this where he wants to follow his dream, you know, is that that advice that I heard some 95-year-old dude say once, he's like, don't follow your dreams and what you love, just do what you're good and what you can get paid for. Like,
0: <laughs> yeah. No, you just, I'll uh, back your solace, go for it. All right. We'll, we'll have a break
2: and then we'll come back because uh, John has to go in 15 minutes and uh, we're
1: going to talk about an interesting investment So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
2: Okay, we're back. John. Yes. The community things of the week. Yes. What did we ask the Facebook group?
0: What is the best deal you've ever gotten? Hashtag deals. <laughs> Michelle Clark was paid a surprise $1,000 more than the private sale price of my car because the awesome buyers wanted to help me out, was selling the car to help cover international student fees. Do you want to read one, Rach?
3: Catalina Riascos, Paramount Plus for $9 for a whole year. Oh, nice.
0: Timmy Ponder, this is a really good one. Being born in Australia in a functional and moderate socio-economical family, seriously, it's a deal that 99% of the world cannot beat. Yeah, straight up. Hmm. Rach.
3: Tian Andrews, buying clearance end of range flooring, tiles that were normally $60 per square metre knocked down to $21.50.
0: Yeah, bargain. Totally, <laughs> Dane Fernandez. This is a, a, a appreciate this one, Glenn. Mirage for five hundred dollars. Got six hundred thousand k's out of her and sold it for eight hundred dollars. Crisp air conditioning. <laughs>
2: Did you know there's a backstory to that? No. So Dane's um, one of my like closest friends. Oh, right. Went through high school with him. That was my first car when I got How? when I was seventeen. Really, Mum and Dad bought me the Mirage. I thought I ran it into the ground
0: and <laughs> I think he bought 600. it off me
2: for $500 and uh, he got 600,000 Ks out of it. That's Crazy. A That's a lot of kilometres. Yeah. Mm.
3: Um, Beth Good, not even a big deal, but the one I'm most thankful for is getting a $1,700 mattress knocked down to $999 because I was an RAC member at Snooze. My spine is thankful every night.
2: Love it. And her wallet. Hey, all these bulky stuff, people don't ever buy mattresses, white goods at full retail price. <laughs> no. like, if you're in a pinch, you might have to, but if it's not urgent, just wait till there's a sale. All right, let's move on. Thanks for the bump music, Nathan. All right, quickly. There's a question here from Madison Kelly. Parents lost money in investments. How to be confident in investing when you know someone lost money through investing? So that's there's a lot there. Also, investing in livestock as a topic of conversation. There are lots of people, myself included, which do this instead of investing. Mm. Wow, hold my beer. (laughs) Hold my beer.
0: For a guy that doesn't drink, there's no, it. there's no need. But any case, do you want to have your uh, commentary on that, Rach?
3: I think investing is such a broad thing, but I guess to have confidence in investing, you need to have the right team around you and you need to get professional advice. Mm. Um, I don't know a lot about livestock as, a, you know, as an investment opportunity, but I think I do know a lot of clients that have had parents that have lost money in investment and get yes. worried about that. And I think that, you know, Confidence in the people around you is really important. So, I guess reach out to, you know, the right team and reach out to Glenn and get him to put you on the right path.
2: Yeah. On this whole parents lost money in investments, like I can categorically say, even I'll just say in 2013, for example, 2014, 15, I had that many clients in their early 60s, late 50s that they would come in for advice and their investments were 100% cash. Because what happened was during the GFC, we know that equity values halved for a hot minute and then it recovered. When equity values halved, they freaked out, sold their investments and it sat in cash for four or five years. Mm. And I saw a lot of bloody accountants who would set up a self-managed super fund, move them out of an old AP fund and have them sitting in cash in a self-managed super fund for five years and they just missed out on all this money. Yeah. I mean, you could have just moved it to cash in the bloody super account. You didn't have to set up a self-managed super fund and make all this money, but I'm getting sidetracked with rage. Mm. But I really think most of the clients that I've seen that have, quote unquote, lost money, it was due to the lack of understanding. It was due to the lack of engagement with a professional in their life to say, hey, whatever you do, don't sell it. It's all good. It was due to the fact that they didn't understand their risk profile. It was due to the fact that they were only engaged when they saw their statement. They hadn't been engaged for 10 years, saw their statement. It's down by half. Oh, super, it's crap and flicked it. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that there hasn't been people that have legitimately lost money like Storm Financial and all that crazy crap. But on balance, most of the stuff I've seen, quote unquote, the losing money, hasn't been because they've invested in something that's underlyingly dodgy. It's been a user error. Yeah. And or an overzealous accountant. I love all accountants, trust me. But I don't like them who've just moved them to set up a super fund to sit in cash to get a couple of grand for self-managed super fund fees. Don't like that. No, I don't like that. Now- Um. I want to really get into this second part of investing in livestock. So, my take on this, John, is, well, you're not really investing in livestock. You're probably more carrying on a business.
0: Yeah. Can I go back to the yeah. first part first? and Then not? we'll go back to livestock because I'm passionate about livestock coming off the farm. So, let's um, thrash that out, Madison. But I think, yeah, look, that's her only reference point is the fact that her parents have lost money. So, she's coming f- from a place of, of fear. Um that's, that's a reference and I totally get how you feel about that. I think you've got to dig deep and see what went wrong with that investment. So actually go on a bit of an education journey and say, well, hang on, mum and dad, well, what did you do? Like what did you invest in? How much research had you done? Who did you consult? And I think you'll find a pretty firm response and maybe what to your point, Glenn, on that.
2: And, and that could be like, oh, they legitimately did invest with um, Storm yeah. and they got flushed. So, what do we take from that? That's right. We go, well, there was a lot of
0: lack of diversification there. Yeah. there was, they were doing stuff without understanding it themselves. Yeah. We outsourced it and we didn't have any involvement. Yeah. yeah. So, I think that journey will help a lot, Madison. And that the second part of that would be regardless of that outcome, when you go and try and educate yourself on that, you've got to change the transcript. Right, so don't you don't have to do what the previous generations done. If if that if I could, did that, I wouldn't have done any investing whatsoever. So I think you've got to set your journey and go on that path. Livestock, uh, that was my actual first investment was to buy. Really? Yes, coming off a farm, Rachel. That's that's what we do. <laughs> Bought sheep. Uh, my brother was a shearer, so I knew that he could shear them very cheaply, and he had land that I could fatten them up on and sell them. So I wouldn't say it's a business, but it's, it's a bit of a hands-on transaction of, of investing. Um, do I like it? Absolutely, as long as you know what you're doing. Mm. I think there is some really good money to be made there, but if you haven't done it before and you don't understand it, you need to spend some time cluing yourself up on But that's that it.
2: whole, I'm not going to buy a bakery if I don't know anything about baking, right?
0: Yeah, correct. Absolutely. So yeah, by the sounds of it, Madison, you may be rural and you, you've you already done it before. Uh, I think personally that it is a actual form of investing and it is a way to be able to increase your cash reserves for one of the bigger ticket items like your own home. I, I would, like. I'm going to push back on that in terms of it's
2: a, it's a, a le- like, I understand it's a legitimate thing. You can buy livestock, you can buy, you know, some heifers, fatten them up and mm. take them to market. You know, my nan used to do that as a bit of a side hustle. She'd get some calves and, you yeah. know, would feed them and then she'd take them into Gloucester, yeah. you know, once a month. I had $900 for that one and yeah. all that. So, that was a legitimate thing. Now, if we call that, See, I, I wouldn't call my nan being in- She invests on the side. It's a, it's a side hustle. Because if we're investing, we've got some serious risks of- I'm putting all my eggs in one basket. Mm. So, if we're buying livestock, well- So, this is- Okay. I, I don't know if there is. I don't think there is. But if there's an ETF that invest in the commodity of livestock and mm. beef, I could do that with 100% of my profits- in my life, so I go to work, put my bills. I've got s- leftover thousand dollars a month. Yep. Put the thousand dollars a month into that ETF with the underlying thing being livestock and beef and cattle. That's an investment, sure. Yeah, because I'm not actively there. Would I want to put my whole thousand dollars left over into that niche? Heck no. Mm. Because you've got concentration risk. You know, you've got single sector like you've got all the yes. all the risks there, right? Yeah, but if we go back to you as a, a someone and we don't know Madison's situation, so we won't talk about her, but, you know, if you were still living out West mm. or where were you, where were you? Victoria. Down South. Yeah, yeah. all that. Mexico. Um, Mexico. <laughs> um, if you were down there and you were working on the farm and you didn't have, if you
0: put all your money into that thing that you were doing,
2: yeah, well, you're not investing,
0: you're just building your business, right? No, but yeah, absolutely, I agree with that. But I was someone that wasn't working on the farm, saw it as an opportunity because I knew it and I had the resources to get that done. Like take a sheep, for example, and we're going off on a bit of a tangent here. <laughs> one of the dumbest animals known to mankind. You You can shear the wool off its back, mm. sell the wool. You can, if you buy a female, you can produce lambs from it, fatten the lambs up, sell the lambs, keep the ewe, and if there's growth in the market, you'll see the uh, increase in in the ewe itself. So you've got three forms of, of upside there. Now, if two of those don't work out, you've still got one, right? So I think, yeah... The the farmers that are listening and anyone who's from regional centres would would totally agree that there is uh, some good money to be made there. If you were I'm in not disagreeing. Martin Place, Sydney, mm. wanting to do that, I'd say no. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing.
2: I'm just saying you can't get around basic laws of investing and diversification. You can't do it. I would just encourage Madison if she is investing and doing this, so she could live on the farm. She's got, you know, she goes into town to work. She comes back, goes home, there's a farm. She, Madison may have $1,000 left over a month. Yeah. I'm not telling anyone on any planet to put that whole $1,000 just into livestock. Can we carve out a percentage? Yep. Because we, and then, you know, so that's basic diversification. Yeah. And then if she does- decide, well, no, I want to double down on this. Okay, well, try and turn it into a business, Mm. which is cool. But then you've got the same problem that a small business owner has. It's not diversifying outside of their small business. And your hand's on. Yeah. So, so I'm totally for Madison and investing, Mm. but I'm just saying, I don't think we can get around the laws of investing because if, you know, we've seen fires, we've seen bushfires Mm. come through. I mean, insurance for stock, probably too expensive. Would you say that's a fair thing? Uh, Does your brother
0: pay for n- that? Yeah, it's not too bad. Yeah. yeah. So travel uh, insurance when you're taking them to sale and all those things are taken care of, yeah. Yeah, but that's like if a fire comes- I want to
3: comes. know more about sheep.
0: Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> you can Google sheep anywhere. <laughs> yeah. But like, um, but can you
2: get insurance on the farm? So if a flood comes through or a fire comes through and wipes out your stock- mm. Can that be recouped? Uh, don't know. Yeah, yeah. And you this need is like check
0: all that out. I'm
2: happy to say I'm out of my depth mm. in that specific issue. I'm happy to say that I'm totally for people investing in stuff that they understand and can get a return from. Mm. I'm just saying you can't get all around basic diversification. Yeah, no. Because I, no, I agree but this with is the whole crypto thing. It's all good while well, it's all good, baby. Mm. But if something happens, it will flush you if you got all of your money in there. Yeah. Rach,
0: do you have a view on this? Stock thing. She, she wants to know more about sheep.
3: They just sound so profitable. Yeah. <laughs> um. No, I don't. I, I don't. I would like to. Um. But I, 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 would. To me, just not knowing anything, it sounds like a side hustle. Not investing. It sounds like she's got a little side hustle going, going with livestock, and then you still need to think about the question of do you invest?
0: Yeah, totally. And and for the people that I know that that do it, they're not hands on. They'll say to to dad on the farm or brother on the farm, hey, can you? Well, I'm going to buy some of these and, and can you look after them and split the profit, something like that.
2: John has to go, but what about Madison? If you're listening, email team at sortyourmoneyout.com. Uh, say you were mentioned on this episode, let's get you on to explain what you're doing and we'll see if we can get a bit of a story Love it because this is awesome. That's awesome. And man. then we'll uh, I'll also get the team to send you a copy of my book, Sort Your Money Out and uh, get invested. John's got to go. Because he's got to take kids to school. Rach and I are <laughs> going to keep. Where are they going? Sports.
0: AFL training.
2: AFL training. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thanks, John.
0: All right, it's been we, a pleasure. See you, Rach. This is the. This
2: is. We need to be more planned with what we do here because you've had to leave a few times.
0: Well, we were starting at two thirty.
2: Yeah, but I changed it.
0: <laughs> thought
2: we would wait for you, Rach. Um See you folks. See ya. There's a question here from Jared thanks John there's a question here from Jared Carlson if i've paid down the mortgage on my ppor more than i needed to and now want to move it move out of it and turn it into an investment property is there any way to get back that money in a tax effective way
3: now we hear this question all the time and The answer is this is a really big, important thing about the difference between an offset account and redraw because my understanding of the tax laws are once you've paid it off your... Um, PPA, you can't then just draw it back out and then make that a tax deductible debt. And that's why a lot of people utilize offset accounts. So, it doesn't go off that, but you do need to chat to your accountant about that. But I don't believe that you can just draw that money up and make yeah. it tax deductible. I'm
2: saying no, I'm right. Check with your accountant though, no, because, and this is like, you can Google part 4A of the, the tax thing and it's around this um, anti-avoidance provisions or something like that. So, and this is why it's so important to get some good advice before you go into stuff just in case. Now, if Jared wants to turn that property into an investment property and then buy another PPOR to live in, well, it's kind of a bit tricky because we could use the equity in the property to secure the new home against, right?
3: You definitely use the equity. It's just whether your accountant will then deem that to be tax deductible.
2: That's right. And I'm probably saying unlikely
3: but worth asking, but yeah. we can definitely use the equity. It's that's just right. about whether your account will say that's tax deductible well, or not.
2: Yeah. So, here's the so here's the thing, right? So, as an example, you've got an investment property worth $500,000, you owe $250,000 on it. So, you've got $250,000 worth of equity. You've got uh, a new home worth $500,000. You could theoretically get a mortgage for $500,000, but 20% of that is secured against The investment property. So you can do that. It just means because you've paid down the investment property $250,000, theoretically, you can only claim $250,000 worth of debt when over there you've got $500,000 worth of debt.
3: That's right. And that's where we do a separate split. So if we were going to be refinancing your owner occupied now, change it to investment and getting more money out for an owner occupied property, we'd refinance in that scenario, the 250 and make that an investment loan and then take out another 150 against that same property for deposit and cost. But that's that would not be, your accountant wouldn't deem that to be tax deductible. And that's why we keep the split separate. Mm. So, your accountant knows the portion of that loan that is tax deductible.
2: Right. Yeah. And and this is why like, so a lot of you who are buying your first home and you're like, well, I won't be there long-term, you will just accrue money on the offset account So, for example, if you had that current home worth $500,000 and you did have $250,000 on the offset account, it would mean that you're only paying interest at the moment on $250,000. And then when you want to go and buy your principal place of residence, pull the $250,000 out of the offset account, put that towards your new home, get a $250,000 mortgage on the new home, And then on the existing home, that full $500,000 is now tax deductible because the whole property is an investment property.
3: And that is completely right. And that's why it's so important for us as brokers and as bank managers or whoever you're talking to, to find out what the longer term plan is so we can set you up for that at the start. So you're not stuck in this position of not having it being tax deductible.
2: Totally. All right, we might move on to Aidan Willis. He put in the Facebook group under the hashtag property. And remember, if you're posting in the Facebook group, put a hashtag. And actually, it's timely that you're here for this. Hoping to get people's thoughts on buying a block of land that doesn't have building entitlement. So, it can only really be used for camping, possibly a movable tiny home. Ideally, a bush block with river frontage that we can use to camp with friends wherever we want to buy. But also listed on like Hit Camp as an off the grid campground to make some coin from it. Uh, he wanted some stories from anyone who's done this. Now, just from a lending point of view, because I'm always on freaking domain and real estate looking at, you know, plots on the buckets way and up, <laughs> you know, trying to like, how do I get a, a ranch? That aside, um, that there's no building entitlement because it could be uh, protected or could be whatever the, the reason is. If I wanted to buy a block of land just for recreation, that was $300,000, would banks lend to me?
3: Generally, or- I've had a number of clients that have bought recreational blocks without a building entitlement. Generally, you would borrow against other property to fund that. Right. Um, most most blocks wouldn't be acceptable to the bank if they don't have a building entitlement. Um, some banks may do a small percentage, but it's... It, it would be case by case, but generally, most clients that I've seen do it have borrowed against other property to fund that.
2: So, as a crude example, if somebody had a home worth a million dollars and they owed $500,000 on that, we might have $300,000 of usable equity. Yep. Or, so they've gone to the bank, hi, we would like to borrow $300,000 from our home to quote unquote renovate the kitchen. Wink, um, don't answer. You're a professional. Um, and then they set up a, a $300,000 mortgage and then they just go and buy that block with that cash.
3: We generally would give the contract of sale of the build of the land to right. say, this is what we're doing with it. Because sometimes it can get hard, be hard to get large amounts of cash out without a purpose. Right. So, we would actually give so the contract of sale. So, it's not that old days anymore. No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we need to renovate we the were, kitchen. It's a bloody expensive kitchen. So, we.
3: I saw a $300,000 kitchen recently, but you would, but if you did have to get cash out, generally you get the contract of sale or a lot of these blocks have been lower amounts. They've been $80,000 for camping and we've just grabbed that as cash out without a contract of sale.
2: Yeah. Okay. So, it can be done, but if you don't have an existing property that you can use the equity in there, it's um, it's a bit tricky, but I guess the the whole thing is- this is a total luxury, and I think Aiden appreciates it and he gets that. You still need the money to service that debt in your income.
3: Yeah. And you'd also have to think if it wasn't an acceptable security for the bank, and this goes with holiday units as well as these sorts mm. of blocks of land, um, are you going to be able to use the equity in it down the track for other reasons? Probably unlikely. Probably unlikely. Mm. But, you know, if it's for fun and a bit of recreation, great.
2: Yeah. I would love a property. I just. I just would love it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> to live on or just for fun?
2: Um maybe both. Like um like you've got a big front yard? I do. How like You'd be paying a crap load for like lawn people.
3: <laughs> I do have a lot of lawn mowing bills, but I've got a few acres and it's just, I love it because yeah. I love not having neighbours and listening to other people's conversations. And yeah. it's a nice outlook.
2: Yeah, I, yeah, that's what, I'm all, that's what I'm all about. We might finish finally on a question from Haley Rapp. At what income level does moving investments into a trust become a better option? Now, we're both not accountants. Uh, but we're both, um, well, you're a professional, I'm just a guy, um, but we're both, I would imagine you would have a family trust, Rachel. I do. Yeah. I've got a discretionary family trust. Now, I think at what income level does moving investments into a trust become a better option? Well, number one, if you wanted to set up a trust to invest, and I might... We've got a thirty June tax episode coming up that we'll put up uh, well before you know maybe around the start of June, everyone. So just look out in the Facebook group because I'll do a shout out for questions. But you've got to look at the the need. Like if if you go look over the next ten years, we're probably going to accrue fifty thousand dollars as a share portfolio because we want to you know put the kids through school or something like that. You're probably not spending a couple of grand setting up the trust and an extra twelve. $1,500 Fifteen hundred dollars a year, or whatever the accountant charges to do the accounts for the trust, like because it needs a tax return. It, it's an it's an entity, right? It is. So you've got to understand that. So if it's costing you fifteen hundred dollars a year to do the entity's tax return, is it worth it? Not sure. Now, if you've already got investments and you want to move them into the trust, well, again, that's not based on what income levels. But you've got to realize that to move an asset that's going to trigger a sale and a repurchase. So, like for me personally, Rach, I've got um, investments outside my trust. I've got investments inside my trust. Now, I've not sold stuff and repurchased in the trust. I've just made the view that I'll only buy new from that entity because I just don't like stamp duty for the sake of moving it to the trust. So, yeah, I don't know if you've got any other comments just from your own personal experience.
3: Oh, look, I, I always go to my accountant and ask what I should do when I'm mm. buying new property. And I went to him recently and said, should I be buying this one in a trust? And he just said, no. And that was the end of it. So, I didn't really delve any further into it, but I would always go to an accountant before I decided anything like that.
2: Yeah. I think your accountant's in the My Millennial Money Facebook group. I see him post in He the, posts all the time. a you know, little pest. <laughs> um, but yeah, so look, if you did have significant wealth coming in from an inheritance- you might say, all right, well, let's set up a trust and let's have the trust invest that. And then we can distribute income to either partner each year. Uh, It might be more of a, if you're self-employed and you're at risk, you might want to trade out of the trust. Uh, But yeah, I honestly think, guys, in terms of investing, there are probably, you know, if you're a PAYG salary employee and your partner is as well, I think there's more times that you wouldn't need a trust than times that you would. And the times that you would, you know, it might be significant wealth coming in. It could be significant wealth that you'll be able to accrue because you've managed to pay the house off. And now we're like, all right, we're serious about investing for the long term. We want the most flexibility year on year because a trust doesn't pay tax. Um, if you, A trust has to distribute the profits on paper at the end of every financial year. So, if there was a fifty thousand dollars investment profit within the trust and there was two people that were beneficiaries, so yourself and your partner, at the end of the financial year, there is a little bit of flexibility because the accountant might go, all right, well, um, you know this partner has a lower income, so we'll we'll put thirty grand on that partner's tax return, and this partner's got a bit of a higher income, so we'll do twenty grand on that partner's tax return. I mean, it does give you that flexibility. And of course, if you are self employed, um, I've said this many times like the operating company that runs the podcast and employs all the staff. I don't own that personally. I don't own any of the shares in that company. Uh, my discretionary uh, trust owns 100% of the shares in the operating company. And the, the My Millennial Money brand, all the trademarks, the websites, everything is owned by my family trust. And there's a license agreement over to the operating company. Um, But that's just good planning realistically. So it's, yeah, it's, there's probably, and this is the problem, Rach, like in these Facebook groups online and Reddit and all that, everyone wants to, you know, get the edge on investing. And it's just like, no, focus on what you're investing in and your energy at work to generate capital to invest. I think it will become apparent as your wealth grows, there could be a need to go, okay, well, we need a formal entity for this for whatever reason. Exactly. And then this is the whole thing. If it got to the point where, oh, we've got a a banging pay rise and we've got 50 grand a year left over to invest, okay, now we're going to start a family trust. Now we're going to start a new account owned by the family trust and start pumping that and not pumping the... Investment account that's outside in our own names. And then, if there is a market event that happens and you've talked in concert with your accountant that it's time to now maybe sell and then repurchase it, but seriously, talk to your accountant. I know enough about this stuff to be dangerous. Um, It could be that, could be the strategy, or we sell down if we need to buy something in 10 years or the kids' education that we were investing for. All right, well, we'll take six grand a year out of the uh, investments outside of the trust and all new money is invested inside the trust. Uh, It's also better for estate planning. So, the corporate trustee is a company that is the trustee of the trust, and there's a trust deed, and that trustee uh, makes sure that everything in the trust goes as per the trust deed. Um, You can have individual trustees. Uh, It's not recommended. Uh, A lot of accountants still set up family trusts with individual trustees to save flipping $230 a year uh, for the asset company fee for the corporate trustee company. But the thing is, a corporate trustee company, it's just cleaner because it makes it very clear with your paperwork. So, that share statement, it's issued to the corporate trustee Proprietary Limited rather than this share statement issued to Glenn James. Well, is that Glenn James, Glenn James, or is that Glenn James, the trustee of Glen James Trust. And then if one of your spouse, um, one of your spouse, if, <laughs> yeah, hey, well, choose your uh, choose what state you want to live in people. But um, no, if, you, if your spouse did die prematurely, there's less paperwork involved with the trust because they're just listed as a beneficiary. You don't have to contact all your investment companies and be like, oh, we're changing the name from his or her name to remove it or but when there's a corporate trustee, you just remove them as a director perhaps, like just easy.
3: Yeah, and it's a discretionary trust so it can be moved around.
2: That's right. Well, I'm just talking about the, um, the corporate trustee. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm indulging myself here of all the reasons why I pay $230 <laughs> a year of a company fee of a company that just sits there that acts as a trustee of my family trust. <laughs> All right, we need to go. (laughs) Do you want to add anything else to that, Rach?
3: No, but I think it is what income level does moving investments and I don't think it is an income level. I think it's a strategy that you need to more focus on rather than your income level. And
2: it's also, you could be earning a million dollars a year, but if you're spending it all and only investing $10,000 a year, well, I'd probably still say you probably wouldn't have a trust because there's not enough wealth to justify the expenses.
3: Yeah, exactly. I mean,
2: but this is the whole thing. I just absolutely wanted to read this question because Haley, this is amazing because you're actually thinking strategically. Yes, like that's the awesome thing, isn't it? It is. Um, so we'll leave it there. Thank you, Rachel.
3: Thank you for having Sphere me.
2: Home loans. It's an impromptu drop in to the episode, but um, and I just want to everyone apologise if I'm not quite with it today. <laughs> I, I have been very so ill this week so um, and I'm, I'm still a little bit fuzzy. So, I'm going to go and have another hydro Light and lay on the lounge, I think. <laughs> Thanks so much. You can reach out to us, com. Click get help if you want to reach out to um, Rachel or, um, or go back to your own mortgage. If you've already got a mortgage broker, like we're just pro-help. Like we're not about sending everyone to Rachel's business or whatever, but like go back to your mortgage broker and say, hey, I'm an IT specialist here. I heard that there could be an option for me to get a home with only a 5% deposit with no LMI.
3: And if you've got a pre-approval with the bank directly, just reach out to a mortgage broker, um, someone that's recommended to you and ask, am I eligible for more?
2: Awesome. Love it. All right, guys. Thanks so
1: much. See you soon.
2: This is a bit of a reverse after party. We're actually just having a chat before we start the main episode. Uh, Rach a, isn't here yet.
0: It's a before party.
2: The before party. Let's put him... Imagine if we put this at the start. It would just be like an episode from 2018 where we talk We're about absolute correct. crap we, for 15 minutes.
0: We wouldn't be here for another five minutes.
2: Um, so, remember that show, Mr Bean?
0: Yes, uh, Rowan.
2: Yeah, yeah. I saw a meme the other day. You know, there's actually only ever 15 episodes. No way! Yeah,
0: fifteen—only
2: fifteen episodes. It felt like there was fifteen seasons. It It just forever. How crazy is that? So I started watching it last night. But I think it's because, like, the first episode that I watched, and you watch it on Seven Mate or whatever the website is. It was basically just three skits. Right. But the skits they just go for so long, so it feels like an eternity yeah. when you're watching Mr. Bean.
0: But also, do you think it was it was just something that was so outside of the square or box back then? Oh, like,
2: it was wild. <laughs> so for the older millennials, like how crazy is that? I had to. I saw this meme. Like, did you know there was only 15 episodes of Mr. Bean? Uh, I'm like what? So I'm like googling it.
0: And I'm like spank me rotten. Wow. It, like there is. Whereas Home and Away has gone for 30 years. And yeah, you're, and you. Without the impact.
2: Yeah, totally. Mm. So, yeah. Um, now, do you have Birkenstocks or Birks? <laughs> no, I does don't. Does Amy? <laughs> she does. So, I got some given to me in America. Right. But because it like snows where I was, I've got ones that are like got an Ugg boots like floor or wow. sole. I haven't like, seen Like that I put my feet in. Yeah. Uh, like so the normal the bottom's normal, but then it's like Ugg boots. Like on top, so on top. it keeps
0: your tops warm. Yeah, mm.
2: so I'm like, Oh, I will. Um, they're going to be great just for around the house in um, in <laughs> winter.
0: They get sweaty on the central coast,
2: yeah. So, I you know I've just been wearing it really comfortable. Mm. So, I'm not cool enough to wear Burks as part <laughs> of I? my repertoire. Oh, I'm not cool, you know, me. Um, do you worry
0: about what you wear?
2: Oh, uh, to a point, like I know I'm not cool, so <laughs> don't try it. But because, you know, as you know, you know, when are we recording? It's Thursday and this will go up on Tuesday the 10th. So, the last three days, I've been really sick, like literally on the lounge, dead.
0: Yes. And- The yeah. male version of sickness. Oh,
2: sure. I mean, I was sleeping five hours during the day. So, <laughs>
0: yeah. Like a baby. There's bacon.
2: that. Um, I'm like, all oh, my muscles were sore, my legs, my hips, my back. Gosh, I was dead.
0: So it's then- like, It's like you'd exercised. It's like
2: I'd <laughs> exercised. No, but I had all the gastro crap and yeah. headaches and fever. I thought it was COVID. It wasn't when I got a PCR. It was fine. I did an, a random apigen. Yeah. What do they call apigen? <laughs> Ant- I, Antigen? Yeah, I did the, the rat three days running. That was all negative. So I must've just got a bloody- um, yeah. Virus. A, a virus or something but far out. Anyway, so I've just been wearing the Burks around anyway. This morning, because <laughs> it's what is it, Thursday. Today's the first day I've been actually functioning. I did the I did a little five, 10 minute update about the interest rates rises. Yeah. On Tuesday, which I got out anyway. I'm just like, you know what? It's, I feel good. Like, I'm back to normal. I stuff it so I went down to Glee at Arena for breakfast.
0: This morning. Well, at
2: eleven thirty. <laughs> Yeah, smoko, smoko, and I wore my Burks out. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get many looks? Probably <laughs> North Wong, probably. Yeah, it's more of a Wadaba fashion, maybe. Yeah, but no, I, um, yeah, just I just never thought I'd wear Burks in public, particularly ones that had, um, the, the um, you know, what are the sheepskin?
0: Yeah, yeah. So is it? A, because they were Birks, you were comfortable wearing them, or B, because you just recovered from- I just recovered from a (laughs) life-threatening
2: illness (laughs) and my will to live still wasn't quite back. You couldn't care less. Yeah, so I'm like, "Eh, I can't be bothered. Mm. But then I just walked around and got some um, Hydrolite from the chemist and put these bad boys, my shoes on. There you go. Nice and clean, aren't they? Yeah, you're back. I clean my white leather Adidas
0: shoes. Did you put them in the washing machine? No, no,
2: I just got the um, spray and wipe stuff and gave them a good scrub.
0: Our iron shat itself the other day. Really? On the day that our kids had school photos. Did you call me? No. (laughs) He didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. <laughs> I've
2: got a brand new iron in there that's been Mate, used twice
0: those kids have got to get to school at 8.30 You've just hit your second dream for the oh, night like, well, the,
2: the doors never unlocks so. no.
0: Yeah, true, but uh, no, we, we we had a family, a friend that helped us yeah. out really well Well, that's good Bad timing, wasn't it? Yeah The old school folks, where were you, always at the back of the class? Mm, yeah, pretty much, uh,
2: yeah Back or middle. I don't think I was ever sitting down or anything at the front. But you would have been taller for your age. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I started sneezing this morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what makes you sneeze?
0: Uh, Well, hay fever for one. Yeah. Always. But are they like... There's something up my nose that itches. Yeah, but
2: are there like things that actually make you sneeze?
0: Very rarely a flower or anything like that.
2: Yeah. You? Two things. Um, Work? Work. (laughs) Very allergic to work. No, two things. Uh, Some women's perfume. (laughs) What? It does. Uh, have Have you
0: pinpointed the brand?
2: No, but just some that are really poignant. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Like I'm, I'm just yeah. a sensitive sinus, yeah. type so of guy. You
0: sneeze all over her nice smell.
2: Yeah, like I, so. I, it's either that or COVID. Maybe yeah. I've got COVID. Whatever you've had it. So <laughs> true. Good on you. Safe. Um. Yeah. So women's perfume makes me sneeze, and also using an electric toothbrush tickles me. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. They're just, so. they're my two things. You have yeah. to go on manual toothbrush. Oh, all day long. Right. Yeah. Hmm. I've told you about my toothbrush, haven't I? <laughs> I use the Swiss Ultra Soft.
0: No, I don't. Are you sponsored by them? No, I wish. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, no. all you people, you like, you're like, like, oh, I like my heart, I like my medium, I like my soft. Yeah. That's cute. Yeah. I'm Ultra Soft, baby.
0: <laughs> ultra Soft. Do
2: you use electric or?
0: I did until Amy threw it on the bench. She said, that's rank, it's got to go. And now I've gone back to the manual. Do
2: you want an Ultrasoft to try? (laughs) I buy them in bulk on eBay. (laughs) Do you? Yeah. What's the difference? Obviously, it's softer on your teeth. The bristles are a lot finer, clearly, Mm. and they can get in a lot um, between the gaps. Right. Oh, look. Give anything a shot. Yeah. I was a Cura Proc, I think the brand is. Right. Um, They got a little Swiss cross on them. There you go. So, yeah. yeah. So, that's- You're loyal. Well- Yeah, and are you, because we did this um, poll on Insta and I'll actually be on next week's episode because I'm bringing this one forward, Um, I did this little Q&A. Yeah. Are you Colgate or Oral B? Couldn't care less, whatever. Do you know
0: what's at your house? Uh, No. You don't? We, We don't usually have mainstream Toothpaste. Oh, does
2: Amy go to like the organic store and get some like French Alps with pure air and water and all that stuff?
0: Please edit this out, Nathan. This is ridiculous. No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this is the things we need to know. So your attention to detail, this is, this is important. So you mm. do not know the brand of toothbrush that you squeeze on your little thing that your mum, I mean, that your wife Amy. She doesn't put toothpaste on my
0: brush. And I wouldn't know what brand. No, but she the buys it. In. Yeah, correct. Yeah, oh, you don't but know I the brand. Know brand, no. Wow. I'm like. The, the, I want to know
2: what I'm putting in my gob.
0: Yeah, well, that's the trust I have in her. Right. So I know that it would be good. I know that I could trust her. She's not going to poison it. Although the kids did set me up the other day. They put. Stuff that wasn't meant to go in your mouth on my toothbrush ready and then. What well, was it? Wasn't you on the dog coin. food? <laughs> no, was No, there might have been a bit of laxatives, clag or something on it. That, right. Yeah. Oh, glue.
2: Remember, clag. Oh, yeah. mm. oh, here's Rachel. Oh, come in. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get this episode started. Mm. Okay, bye.